Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Hope that you and your family had a wonderful weekend. Thankful for the goodness of God and all the many gifts that uh, he gives us, even though we don't deserve them. So let's uh, look to our bulletin for a few announcements. Number one, we have the uh, budget for next year proposal and the following. Have a copy. If you haven't gotten a copy of that, discussion will be held next week and the vote will be the following week, which would be uh, December 13th. And on December 13th, we're going to have our Christmas dinner and a mission dinner. We're going to combine the two of those and look to the mission and efforts uh, that we try to see through the, the means that the Lord gives us and provides us here at Westwood Baptist Church. And we take that up through the Acts 1-8 offering. We're going to have our church planner, Josh Green, who's out of Colorado, come and be a guest that week. So that'll be a sweet time for us here in a couple of weeks. I uh, want to make note uh, that this Friday night is Parent Night Out. We do this every year where we give uh, parents an opportunity for a date night or an opportunity to do uh, some have some time to themselves, and uh, we call that Parent Night Out. We're going to have pajama themed night for the kiddos. The youth are going to help us as well. This is from uh, nursery all the way to fifth grade is uh, the kids that we're going to be taking on. Uh, what what we need from you is we do need an account uh, so that we know about how many kids we're going to have in the nursery and the uh, children as well. So my goal is to get in contact, contact with you this week, parents, but if you want to go ahead and send me a text today or tomorrow and just say who's going to be joining us, we'd love uh, to have that in advance. Otherwise, I'll get with you this week. So that's this Friday. So that's until 945, and we will have dinner and other activities them. So that's the announcements for this uh, morning. We want to look to the Word of God. This week's fighter verse was Psalm 84, verses 10 through 11. If you have that memorized, would you stand with me this morning? The rest of you, if you don't mind reading along with us, way of encouragement. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 10-11. Very good. So next week is 1 John 4, 4. I'll read it for us. Little children... You are from God and have overcome them, have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's first John four four. Hide God's word in your heart this week. Good morning. I just want to remind everybody that we are taking up the love offering for the staff uh, from you know through the twentieth of next month. So uh, just a love offering would want to give her that you can use an envelope and just put on their staff love offering or you can give online just uh, just uh, pray about it and see how God uh, leads you to bless our staff thank you the time for Advent has come and for the Christian church this is so much more than an excuse to give gifts or eat more or have more parties or have time off of work and school it's really an opportunity for us to rejoice that the King has come, and he's coming again soon. So let's stand and sing to King Jesus, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Today begins the season of Advent. And that word Advent is not one we often use, but it simply means to come or coming. And we live in anticipation, which of course is the of Jesus Christ. And uh, the story of Christmas, of course, is the advent or the coming of the Son of God into the world uh, as human flesh, uh, God taking on flesh himself. And so Advent is for adoring Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. That's how we want to set our hearts during this season. That is that we would adore Jesus Christ with all of our being. Uh, we, one way we do that symbolically is we have this Advent wreath each year. And uh, we've even encouraged you to uh, make this a practice in your own homes and a tradition of the Advent wreath so that you can teach your children and that you can be reminded day day throughout the Advent season of the reason uh, that we celebrate Christmas, and that is because of Jesus Christ. We want to grow in our hearts in adoring Him. Uh, each candle represents uh, something, and this week the candle is representative of prophecy. It's known as the prophecy candle. And uh, what that looks to is it looks back into the Old Testament and how the prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Christ and coming, of even speaking forth what God had shared with them about the coming of Messiah. Peter looks back at them as examples for us, and he says this concerning the salvation that we know in Christ in 1 Peter 1.10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter is looking back and he's saying, these guys were looking at when he would come and they realized they were ministering to another generation. And so we choose someone to light the candle that has throughout the years ministered to another generation, this generation, the generation that's sitting here today, uh, the generation that is on the ground now. And so we choose uh, someone from our church, and that's Herbert and Betty Trussell. Isn't it great that they're here with us today to do this? Uh, they have diligently throughout Jesus Christ just served and they've served another generation they've served Jesus Christ but they've served another generation this generation and so we've asked them to come today and to light our prophecy candle so brother Herbert and Miss Betty would you come
they want to make their way back. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you uh, for those who have gone before us, for those who've had a longing in their heart for the coming of Christ and the revival of your church. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, have provided for us eternal life through Jesus Christ who has come into this world, who lived perfectly, who died to take away our sin, who rose and, praise God, he's coming again. And it's for this we eagerly wait and have longing in our hearts and adore Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you would open your Bible um, to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, you can reach it there in front of you and grab a pew Bible, and it'll be on page 855. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in age. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according and burnt incense, he was chosen to enter by lot into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared and that has been the reading of God's word. Let's stand together and sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, who was Redeemer and Friend, who would have thought that a Lamb could rescue Thank you. 
So he calls us to make it. And for those who have ex- well, our sin for a better life, a new life of repentance and faith. And for those who have experienced that joy, could we not sing, My Jesus, I love thee? My Jesus, I love thee. I know. Oh. 
Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the privilege to gather as a body to worship you, to honor you, to lift your name up through song and prayer. This morning, Lord, we look to your son, Jesus Christ. This season that we set aside, Father, can be so uh, consumed with things. Lord, I pray that we, your people, as we begin to look uh, to the first coming, I pray that we'd anticipate the second as well, that we look to your son, Jesus Christ, coming, uh, Lord, to take up his people that he bought with his precious blood. I pray this morning that every ear and eyes would be open to the gospel that is yet to repent and believe. I pray that your church would hear and be encouraged by the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we give back an offering that we'd honor you in this time of worship, that we recognize that all that we have has been given to us by you. Lord, we love you and pray this all in your son's sweet name. Amen. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son. Good morning. 
Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking uh, there this morning as we take a uh, detour from uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, to focus on this Advent season and look at the thought of adoring Jesus Christ. Um, I, I want to, as you're turning to that passage in Luke, I want to remind you, I know Josh mentioned this, but uh, the Acts 1-8, uh, uh, the mission, Christmas mission dinner, uh, highlighting the Acts 1-8 offering. We want you to be a part of that uh, coming up on December the 13th. And Josh Green will be here. And I just uh, want to encourage you to continue to uh, prayerfully consider how God would have you to give toward the Acts 1-8 mission offering uh, on a consistent basis so that we can continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in Palestine, but throughout the world. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, having Josh here with us on that day. Uh, today we're focused on uh, Jesus Christ, as always. Uh, but we're going to do that by way of his forerunner, John the Baptist. And we're going to be looking at him for a moment, particularly uh, the announcement of his birth. And uh, I want for the coming day, and I've entitled this message today, Preparing Hearts for the Coming of Christ. Preparing Hearts for the Coming of Christ. As I've mentioned, Advent is for adoring Jesus. Um, you know, Christmas seems like that it's everything but that. Uh, every year when it rolls around. Uh, all the decorations, and it's a lot of fun, okay? I, I don't want to take away all the fun, uh, all the decorations, all the things we do to, to uh, make our house, our homes uh, receptive to those who are coming and that they would uh, recognize the season. Um, I, I don't want to take the fun out of uh, the children's hearts of seeing the lights. Uh, I like seeing the lights, but we regularly go to Athens and drive through there. I'm always worried about that bridge a little bit, but uh, driving through there and seeing all those beautiful lights and uh, all the fun of Christmas. There's lots of joy in it, lots of fun, but it seems uh, that in our world today, in our uh, nation today, in our homes today, there's such a great desire and urgency to outdo the other person. I mean, there are movies set after that theme uh, of uh, guys with their Christmas light of light. competition going back and forth of who can have the greatest display of lights. But there's also the consumerism of it and, and wanting to buy all this stuff that we can't afford, nor do we need. Uh, but it's very much there. You know, we look at Advent in light of this culture and in light of the coming of Christ that he has come and that he is coming and that ought to stir in us and what we want to stir up during this season is anticipation this expectation how often do you live your life in a day with the expectancy of Jesus coming. I mean, really, that's the thing. And that's what Advent ought to stir up in our hearts, is this expectancy. 
It's a beautiful thing. Anticipation is wonderful. I can't say that word. I'm going to generationalize myself. I can't say that word without thinking back to my childhood and the Heinz ketchup commercials. Anybody remember those? Y'all probably have the same thing. You know, oh, you got, I mean, they didn't have flashy commercials, but you had to, okay? They were in color, all right? They were in color. But you had this, just this ketchup bottle, and that's all you had. It was just sitting there, you know. It was turned up like this, and they were singing this song, you know, Anticipation. It's making me wait. And, and ketchup's just slowly coming out. You know, the coming of Christ and his second coming seems like that. You know, it's just, when, Lord, when? But we ought to have that urgency in our heart, and that urgency ought to stir up in us a way of living and a passion to adore Jesus. You know, we live in a world where we don't have to wait anymore. I mean, really, don't we? I mean, you just uh, you have a drive-through, you know? Uh, not only is there a driving-through or you can download something, you know? I mean, you can just click a button and boom, you've got the book and you didn't leave your living room. It's very efficient, it seems like. But we miss the anticipation of going to the bookstore and browsing the shelves and finding the one we want. And then the rest of it is just the joy of seeing what else is out here. We, we live in a world that has stopped anticipating because we have things instantly nowadays. And I think we miss something. We have something in our hands, but between the thought of wanting it and the receiving it, there's nothing in between called anticipation. The great and wonderful philosopher of my childhood, Winnie the Pooh, said this. Well, said Pooh, what I like best, and then he had to sit up and think, because although heating honey was a very good thing to do, there was a moment just before you began to eat it which was better than when you were but he didn't know what it was called. That's called anticipation. There is a sweetness to waiting for Jesus to come. There is a sweetness in waiting and adoring him while we wait. In our text today, I want us to see that some of the prophecy from the Old Testament is being fulfilled here in the New at the announcement of the forerunner's birth, that he would come. And that forerunner is John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for him 
And I want us to answer this question today. How do we prepare our hearts and our children's hearts to adore Jesus and live in anticipation or expectation of His coming? How do we do that? Out of this, this text that Nancy read earlier, I want to choose three things. There's lots to, to cover in this text, but I'm only going to choose three things out of it that highlight and help us to answer this question. The first thing I want us to see is I want us to see the sovereign work of God. Okay? I want us to see the sovereign work of God. Secondly, I want us to see the gracious gift of God. All right? I want us to notice the gracious gift of God. Thirdly, I want us to see the separate path God provides for His own children. So, first of all, looking at this, we have this narrative, this, uh, this story of, of a family. We see that it was in the days of Herod, and he was king of Judea, and uh, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah. He was in a particular division of uh, the priesthood. Uh, and he was in uh, a Levite, of course, because he was a priest. And we see that he and his wife Elizabeth had a longing for a child. They longed for a child. And so in this narrative we see this and we can see the sovereign work of God going on here. First of all, we see it in the union of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In them being together, married. Here they are. They are both out of the uh, tribe of Levi. Priest Aaron, we see that he was from the daughters of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest of Israel. Her name was Elizabeth. And it says here that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. First of all, you have the union of these two. These two uh, that set up the, uh, the coming of the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Something beautiful that I see in this that I haven't seen before and perhaps... I make too much of it, is we see these two people of the priestly line coming together and they're going to bring forth a child who is going to be a prophet. And that prophet is going to make known and introduce the king. So we have all the offices of Israel, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And we see God working sovereignly to bring them, and we see something that they have, to this point, in their later years, had no children. It says there that she was barren, and they were both advanced in years. No barrier. Do you all know that for a sovereign God, there's absolutely no barriers to Him doing His will and accomplishing His purposes? No barriers. For the living God. And so we notice the, this, this beautiful thing where God is bringing a child. 
So uh, we see that the sovereignty of God in the appearance of an angel looked down, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. There in verse 11. And so we see this angel. We find out later that it's Gabriel, all right? Of all the angels, Gabriel, he's like the chief, all right? He's like the one you see when something big's about to happen, all right? And so here's Gabriel showing up inside the temple. Zechariah, man, he was drawn out of his division of the priests uh, by lot to go in there, all right? Uh, by lot. So, you know, they, they uh, had lots, and they would cast lots, and the lot would fall on somebody, and it fell on Zechariah. Do you think by chance? Oh, no. No, by the sovereign hand of God did it fall on. It was by the sovereign hand of God that Zechariah was the one that day to go into the temple. And it was there that the Lord sent Gabriel to meet him. Zechariah, I'm sure, was taken back. It says here that he was troubled. And so uh, Zechariah is, is troubled, and the first thing Gabriel says is, don't be afraid. God sent me here. Man, isn't that always, that's always the, the, the first thing that angels say to those who are the children of God. Don't be afraid. God wanted me to deliver a message to you. I want you to know something. And so we see this angel, and we hear of this miracle. This woman who has been barren, who is advanced in years, is going to have a son. You say, well, yeah. And understand that up until this point, there had been no recorded miracles for over 500 years until right here. It was in the days of the Old Testament prophets. And really, I guess you could look at Elisha as probably one of the last. And that one happened when he was dead. A soldier fell dead in an open grave and hit the bones of Elijah, and boom, he came back to life. But here is the angel announcing this miraculous birth, if you will, because she had been barren. Implication, past the years of childbearing, and she's going to have a son. So, a miracle had not been seen in over 500 years. Not only the appearance of the angel here, but also the promise and fulfillment of a child. But we see God also had sovereignly held back having a child until right now. Why is that? Well, you know, we ask that question, and it really doesn't say. But I think it was for the sake of prayer. Look what it says down here, verse 13. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Did y'all hear it? 
for the sovereignty of God in this. Man, here's we got a guy. I mean, see the sovereignty of God in this. Zechariah, don't give up praying. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on asking. And what did God do? He answered that prayer. Here's what I want you to see from that. God hears the cries of his children. Y'all grab that? He hears your cries. He hears your prayers. And the lesson from Zechariah is don't stop knocking. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't ever stop seeking the face of God in prayer. He is sovereign over everything. And nothing, nothing holds back God from accomplishing His purposes and will. Understand that all of these things that are taking place, they didn't just happen to be. They did not just happen to happen. I want you to know that God, before the foundation of the world, had His plan for redemption of sinful men. This is part of His narrative. It's just being played out in time in history now. It's being played out here in, in, uh, in Zechariah It was Paul's life. But God had said, you know what? I'm going to bring forward a forerunner. It was part of his plan. God does not make things up as he goes. Isn't that good news? God, he doesn't make it up as he goes. It's kind of like, well, if he does this, well, then I'm going to change my plan and do this. That's not what God does. God has his plan. And that plan is unfolding and just pouring out constantly before us as the children of God. And here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, God had determined before the foundation of the world, this child's going to be born here. It's going to be for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so not only did God uh, work in such a way and predetermine he would send John through Zechariah and Elizabeth as forerunner to Christ, but he also determined, and he did, he satisfied he satisfied the longing hearts of these two for a child. He satisfied it. Folks, we find all of our hope and satisfaction in a God who is sovereign and loves us and cares for us. And so how do we prepare our hearts? We see and we look for and we know and he is working to see it that God is sovereign and He is working all things according to the counsel of His own will. That's great news. God is working. Here not long ago, I think I referred to this, but I'm going to refer to it again because Habakkuk was crying out to God. He was praying and he's kind of like, God, don't you hear us? Don't you hear our cry? How long are you going to let this violence take place? How long are you going to allow the hardship of your people and Lord said, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For I am raising up the Chaldeans. I'll stop there. God said, I am working. I'm working sovereignly. You can't see it, and if you could see it, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. But just know I'm working. God is always, always, always working. 
and he's working to accomplish his own purpose and his own plan. And his purpose and plan here was to bring forth Jesus Christ. And here he's bringing forth his forerunner. And so we look for the sovereignty. If we want to prepare our hearts and our children's hearts to be expectant to adore Christ and know, then we have to realize and know our God, He is sovereign. And He does all things according to His will and His work and His purposes and His plan. Secondly, I want us to see the gracious gift of God. Here in verses 11, it says, The angel was standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You shall call his name John. I'm looking around see if we have any Johns in here today. Anybody who's named John, I, I'm not seeing anybody at the moment. We have Johns among us, though. Do y'all know what the gift, the, that, that name means? Yahweh is gracious. Or gracious gift of God. That's what the name John means. You'll call Zechariah didn't say, you know what? I'm going to have a son. He didn't say to the angel, you know, Gabriel, that is just great. I think I will name my son John. No, that's not what happened. Gabriel said this is what, what's for And I can't help but think that the intent of that was for Zechariah to see and for the people to see that Yahweh is about to do something marvelous and gracious and beautiful. And He is about to give a gift that goes beyond all of our expectations. And that is the gift of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is going to be the one who is going to announce it. This will be His message. God is gracious. He is gracious to forgive sin. He is gracious to lead us to repentance. He is gracious and good to the children of God. And so he said, you, you shall call his name John. John was a gift to his parents, for sure. But he was also a gift from God to prepare people for the coming of Christ. John's ministry was tumultuous, is one word. Fruitful is another word. I mean, he was proclaiming, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Pharisees came out to repent. What'd you come out here for? John, his ministry had this focus, and that was to make Christ known. I mean, that's what God was going to use him for, to make Christ known. One of the famous lines of John the Baptist was this, He must increase, and I must decrease. Man, that's the pattern of our lives as believers. 
Christ must rise in our hearts and in our minds. And self must decline. And we, as we become more and more like Jesus. John's ministry had that focus. We are to see the gracious gift of God and that is to set the course of our life. Do y'all know the gracious gift of God? The greatest one? Jesus Christ who knew no sin and became sin for us. Jesus Christ who willingly laid his life down for his sheep dying on the cross yards being ripped apart if you will by the shards of the whips the cat of nine tails spikes being driven into his hands and into his feet a crown being shoved down on his head and there the son of God the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world died there is our gift Jesus Christ and not only him crucified but him risen he's alive I know this isn't Easter but he's alive and he's alive forevermore there he was bearing the sin and the guilt and the wrath for us that we would have eternal life there is the gracious gift of God and John was going to be delivering that gift. He was going to be delivering it in his message to the people. You know, uh, having the grace of God and having the gift of God in Jesus Christ, having the gift of God of eternal life, ha knowing that we are children of God, do you know what that leads us to do? It leads us to live our lives differently. In Romans chapter 6, we find uh, there that we were buried, therefore, with him, raised from the dead by, the, by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're to walk in a new life. Why? We've been given this gift of eternal life, and we now, as children of God, are to walk in a new way, a different way, a way that is different from the world around us. And John represents that. Man, if we're going to prepare our hearts, we need to see the gracious gift of God in Jesus Christ. We need to see the sovereign work of God that He is doing among us and seeing that He is sovereign, whether we recognize the work or not, we know nothing is standing in His way. But we also see the separate path God provides for His own children that we may walk in newness of life. John says, he must increase, I must decrease. Much of the walking in a new life has to do with the humility and the decline of ourselves, that we would become more and more like Jesus. And so we are to see the separate path God provides for his own children. I want us to see that in what the angel about John, what he will be, what he will be like. Look what it says there in uh, uh, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
So, Zechariah, you're going to be happy. You're going to have a son. Your name will go on. And not only will your name go on, your wife will no longer feel the reproach of the people on her. I mean, these people look at them, they were uh, righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the commandments, yet they had no child. Someone like that, people would automatically think, well, God ought to bless them. And he did. But Elizabeth felt the reproach. She says it over in verse 25 that I would no longer feel the reproach among people. He's taken it away. We see there in verse 14, people rejoice. I tell you, you can't help but rejoice, okay? I mean, when you get a son, when you get a child, when you get a daughter, yes, hold everybody, and you rejoice. I remember when my first son was born. Man, I told everybody, you know? I mean, I was happy to go to the grocery store. Hey, we need some more formula. I'll go. Bring that formula up to the counter. Yeah, got a new baby at home. Let me tell you about it. Let's see a picture. Yeah. Pull out the Polaroids. Yeah, we had Polaroids. We had smartphones. Yeah, see there? He's a handsome dude, isn't he? Looking like his daddy. Boy, I put it away. I mean, rejoice. I mean, man, you're just happy, all right? You're just happy. And you keep rejoicing. And you rejoice with everyone. And so you will rejoice. God, in working out His plan, longs to pour joy into the heart of the people who love Him through the work that He does. And so we see this joy poured out and many will rejoice at His birth. And some of that has to do with not only that Zechariah and Elizabeth will rejoice, but also there will be rejoicing because he will be great before the Lord. Not everyone rejoiced at the ministry of John the Baptist. But we see here, he will be great before the Lord. So let me give you three things out of this. In this separate path, God provides for his own children. First of all, he will be great before the Lord. Secondly, that he will be set apart. Thirdly, he will turn hearts to God. Those are three things that we see along the path that God provides for those who are his own. Firstly, it says uh, there, for he will be great before the Lord. This phrase and this word is helping us to see that John the Baptist, in standing with all other prophets, would be greater than all of them. Okay? That's what he's pointing out. I mean, John was basically the last Old Testament prophet, if you will. And so among the prophets, John the Baptist, he's greater than all of them. He has great standing before God. Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 7, in verse 28, he says this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And then he says this, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then Luke adds 
some parentheses here. There's two. All the people heard this. And the tax collectors too. <laughs> Interesting how Luke popped that in there. And the tax collectors too. The despised people is a way of saying that. When all the people, including the despised people of Israel, the tax collectors, when they heard this, they declared God just or said that God is just in his dealings. Having been baptized with the baptism of John. These were the people who went out to him while he was preaching. And he said, repent. The kingdom is drawn near. Repent. He's right here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we see uh, this uh, sweet thing going on here. We see Jesus uh, is saying that no one's better. No one's greater than John. But look what it says. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Be baptized. People of Israel, they said, we're not going to be baptized. We don't need to be baptized. Well, I want you to know, uh, they were wrong in not turning away from their sin because that was the, uh, the message that John was preaching, the, pr the message of repentance, to turn away from your sin and prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist, I mean, he imagined this guy, you know. I mean, he had this long hair. Uh, he had this, uh, uh, this, uh, the, these garments that were, you know, rough. He had a strange diet, all right? And he had a strange pulpit. He was out in the wilderness. And people were just pouring over there to him because he was proclaiming a message that they needed to hear. And it was a message of hope. It was a message of forgiveness. It was a message of cleansing. Man, don't you love hearing just messages of hope? That eternal life is real. But John the Baptist didn't just highlight a message of hope. He also very much highlighted sin. With the Pharisees, they, they scoffed at him, and as a preacher and a prophet, he called out kings, and he called out religious leaders. He called the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Who told you to come and repent? They weren't coming to repent. He knew they had no intention of repentance. To Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. I mean, he was a guy who stood up and just said, man, that's not right. That's not right. And he was... John had this boldness about him. He was bold. 
in his preaching and his teaching. But we see uh, that he had this separate path. He was great before the Lord. These are the things that outlined his greatness. He was great among the prophets, the greatest among the prophets. But listen to that hope. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. <laughs> Paul would say he was talking about me least Paul would say he was talking about me I'm the chief of sinners man John represented the hope of those who were set apart for, by society and he uh, represented those who wanted to have hope and to look forward to something and he was in their midst the second thing I want you to see is he was set apart for God look what he says and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb most commentators look at this and say this is a Nazarite vow this was old back in Numbers chapter 6 uh, we see the uh, characteristics of those who uh, who commit themselves to a special vow a vow of a Nazarite and it says there speak to the people of Israel and say to them when either a man or a woman makes a special vow the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord he shall separate himself from, the, from wine and strong drink he shall drink no vinegar made from wine or drink strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh dry fresh fine not even all the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine not even the seeds or the skins all the days of his vow of separation no razor shall touch his head now stop there we see this Nazarite vow and we see uh, something that goes on we, we know that, that in the description of John he had this hair that hadn't been shaved there were two other uh, uh, who was under the Nazarite vow from birth Samuel and Samson both of those from the womb and it says he will have the Holy Spirit even from his womb you know as we look at this we see that John had a purpose to fulfill in God's divine narrative and one thing that we see from this is we see this is how John will do this is how he will accomplish his ministry this is how his ministry will succeed he will have the holy spirit of god what a gift the spirit of god is he will have the gift of god the holy spirit from his mother's womb and he will accomplish something in that he will turn the hearts of many Look what it says in verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them and the children and the hour of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what John would be doing would be turning the hearts of the people back to God and that's what he was doing in proclaiming repentance he was turning their hearts back to the Lord he was telling them the Savior has come he was telling them repent turn away from sin 
and turn to you. He's coming in the power of Elijah, not the power of miracles, because there's not one recorded miracle of John the Baptist, but the power of turning hearts by speaking truth. By delivering the truth of the living God, he would turn the hearts of Israel to their God and the hearts of fathers to the children. I believe very much this is included for a reason, and that is because uh, without the family, every society decays. Historically, it is true. That's why our emphasis is so heavy on families here. We want you to know, and I think God knows, I know God knows, it's where he started everything, and the message that there was on was to turn hearts of children back to their fathers that there would be fathers who would love their children and direct their children and guide their children John was set apart from God and so are you and me set apart by God for God for his purposes for his will forever and ever I forgot something I say all that to point you towards some resources back in the back. How to make and use an Advent wreath. How to make an Advent wreath. What's the history of the Advent wreath? I want to encourage you to make this a tradition in your homes. Why? To turn your children's hearts toward Christ. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, we have a great responsibility as the children of God to raise up another generation. We had the prophets who realized something. Man, we're not ministering to ourselves. We're ministering to another generation. And I think it's so important that He, that God has uh, set us apart, that He has given us a message and a purpose, and that is for us to be faithful in turning hearts to Jesus to adore him these resources we hope will uh, encourage you and help you there are some uh, uh, resources in here that will give you direction in how to lead your children toward adoring Jesus and growing in their heart an expectation of his coming day in, day out loving Jesus I want to close with a couple of thoughts here first of all God is working every moment to accomplish his purpose look around you look around the world can I tell y'all something that you probably already know because I've been known to point out the obvious. The coronavirus does not derail God's purposes and plans. <laughs> God, but instead, God can use it to accomplish His purposes and plans. That's the power and the might 
of a sovereign God. A new president, new Congress, new Senate does not determine God's plan. God determines their very existence. Sovereign God doesn't need our uh, our, our government to reign. He reigns. He reigns over all. I say this because I want us to live in the joy of the Lord in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of much chaos in many major cities and so forth, in the midst of hunger and pain and suffering throughout the world. I want us to live in the moment knowing that God is sovereign over everything, over every sorrow, over every misery, and over every joy. Embracing. He is a God we can trust in everything. We prepare our hearts by embracing that truth. Well, God, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I asked for. But not my will, Lord. Your will be done. I live in the joy of knowing you. Or as Job said, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Second thing, just I uh, just want to say this with great hope. Know the gift of God in Christ. Man, if you've been just wandering around, and I'll tell you what, the Pharisees thought they had it made. They were righteous, and they were good, and they kept the law. An equivalent today would be that they went to church, and they read their Bible, and they prayed regularly, and they walked the aisle. Being religious doesn't save you. Adoring Jesus saves you. Don't. Knowing Him personally saves you. Don't pass by the opportunity to know Him. And parents, by all means, don't pass by the opportunity of making Jesus known to your children when they're little. Sing them songs of redemption when you're holding them in your arms and read them truths from God's Word when they grow in wisdom and stature, when they grow in discerning and understanding. Teach them the truths of God and live your life set apart. You know, the division between those who are the gods, those who, are, who belong to Him, and those who do not, do you know those lines are growing much bolder today? It's much more distinctive as to who belongs to the Lord and who does not. And the ways and the thoughts of the world today. But the primary thing is this, that we who are the children of God 
are those who without any hindrance look to Jesus Christ and with the Lamb of and with so many others declare behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world his name is Jesus and if they hated him they will hate you but let me tell you this nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord nothing let's pray Father we want to thank you Lord for bringing John into this world and Father the message that he delivered was that of repentance repent prepare yourself for Jesus Lord I pray Lord that our hearts Lord would be hearts of repentance God that we would lay aside the sin that so easily entangles and God that instead Lord we would reach for Jesus Christ we would pursue him with all of our heart we would adore him and live in adoration of the one who set us free. We love you, O oh God, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn of dedication. Take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be.